0: Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: Gave me a little bit more of a sense that I was okay, whoever I was, and that I didn't need to change who I was so I fit in with the cool kids or with the in crowd. And I think that was part of my mom's gift to me.
0: You're listening to the Mindful Mama Podcast, episode number 302. Today we're talking about how to talk so little kids will listen with Joanna Faber and Julie King. kids. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, hello. So glad to be talking to you again. This is an awesome, very special episode. This is a special replay episode from an episode we aired in 2018, but it's such a classic and it's so powerful. I needed to just share it again and actually the heads up we're gonna have a brand new episode with Julie King and Joanna Faber in just a few weeks actually so but this episode is with the ladies who are co-authors of How to Talk So Little Kids Would Listen, A Survival Guide to Life with Children Ages 2 to 7, and Joanna and Julie are amazing. They write books, they lead workshops, they consult with parents, and they have amazing judo parenting communication skills that are just amazing. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that mindful parenting consists of mindful. Mindfulness, the whole mindful parenting clear method. Step one is calm. We calm our reactivity. We do this inner work. We understand our triggers, take care of difficulties. We do all this inner work so that then we are able. To then communicate and joanna and julie talk about communication in an amazing way so this episode is all about the communication piece which is so so powerful joanna and julie are amazing zen masters at this so you will get so much out of it and there's no youtube clips from this one because it's a replay back when we were just audio only please make sure you check out our mindful mama mentor youtube channel and of course, share this episode around if you get a lot out of it, because you're the one, you and your, your, you know, your iTunes reviews and all that, that that's what makes this grow and, and spread the word to more parents so we can change things for the next generation of kids, which is so powerful. So join me at the table as I talk to Joanna Farber and Julie King. Julie, Joanna, I'm so glad you could come on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for being here today.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you're here. So this is this is going to be an experiment because it's my first time talking to two people at once that we are in different places, but I think we're going to make it work. You guys seem to have a good vibe about you. <laughs> so you grew up like a block away from each other and you were raised, wait, now I think it was Joanna, you were raised by like the parenting guru of the time, yes. right? right?
2: I didn't know it at the time. I (laughs) thought it was a normal childhood.
0: You had the optimal childhood, but you didn't know it. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to grow up the child of the author of How to Talk So Kids Will Listen?
2: Well, (laughs) at the time it seemed regular, but I guess I could say, I feel like in looking back, Having my mom for a mother, it didn't you know, protect me from the, the harshness of the world, but it made me stronger to face the harshness of the world. And I thought of this one memory I have to share with you of when I was in first grade and our teacher, Mrs. Gunderson, required us, same teacher as Julie had, required us to color in the margin of our writing exercises so that it would be beautiful. That was a requirement that the margin be beautiful. Now, the margin was very skinny and we had fat crayons. So, you know, I went through my repertoire. I made stripes, horizontal. I made vertical stripes. I made zigzags. I made polka (laughs) dots. I ran out of ideas for what you could do in in a margin. And, you know, little kids... Take these things very seriously. Like there was a requirement that it be beautiful. And I remember being very stressed out and worried about this as a kid. And, and I told my mother, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what she wants us to do in the margin. And she, my mom looked thoughtful. She's a very thoughtful person. And she said, hmm. She said, you know, there are some artists who really like working in tiny little spaces And other artists like working in big spaces. There's this one artist. His name is Jackson Pollock. He puts canvases, he covers the entire floor with a canvas and throws buckets of paint on it. And she said to me, you know, maybe you're the kind of artist who likes to work in big spaces. And I felt better. And I said to myself, yes, that's the kind of artist I am. So I went back to school. And the next day, the teacher called me up for my writing assignment to be checked. And she said, what is this? You didn't fill in the margin. You didn't make it beautiful. And I said, Mrs. Gunderson, I'm the kind of artist who likes to work in big spaces. And Mrs. Gunderson said, get back to your seat and color in that margin. (laughs) So I resentfully trudged back to my seat and colored it in the margin. I think I colored it in black. But, you know, I, I just remember that. I remember thinking, oh, well, I have to do this. But I, I was no longer worried about it. <laughs> I, like, I had a mom who understood me and understood the kind of artist I was. And that was enough for me. So that's that's a great gift to go through a childhood with with a parent who understands who you are and, and yeah. accepts who you are. Cause kids, kids stress out about every little thing. Kids take things very seriously. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I love that, that. You know, you're saying, have a parent who understands and accepts who you are. And I think that's, the, I love your story. <laughs> that's such, that's It's like that your mom saw you in your kidness and she respected you for who you are and you really felt that. That sounds like that really, you felt that kind of coming through in your whole childhood. I imagine there wasn't like a lot of yelling.
2: She's not a real yelly person. I remember her getting angry. I think my two brothers and I drove her crazy sometimes as young kids will. But for the most part, my mom is was pretty laid back. Yeah. Accepting person.
0: Mm. Mm. That's cool. So, so how about you, Julie? What was it, what was it like, you know, you wrote this book about how to talk so little kids will listen and we're going to, I can't wait to talk about some of the ways we're going to, you know, you can help parents of little kids talk to them and communicate better. But, but you also grew up in, what was it like growing up? What was your parenting, you know, what were your parents like and and your experience like growing up as a kid?
1: Well, my mother and Joanna's mother were very good friends. They met when we were babies. And when we were, Joanna and I went to nursery school together. And when we were in nursery school, her mother took a parenting group with Haim Ganat. And then she would talk to my mother. According to my mother, they talked daily on the phone in the morning about what was going on, what they were going to try. So I, of course, I was not aware of this when I was in nursery school, but I was a guinea pig for this approach as well. (laughs) And I knew that they were very good friends. And as we were growing up, I remember going to Joanna's house and her mother and the mother of another kid who went to nursery school with us, they would be writing on big yellow legal pads is what I remember, on the kitchen table. And I later found out that they were writing this book. And eventually, I actually got to read the book, which I thought was pretty cool. But I think that when I was little, I wasn't aware of all this. But I did have a mother who was also very accepting. And I think that gave me sort of a a sense of myself that, you know, when I think back to Maybe it was middle school or high school, and kids were there. Were all kinds of social dynamics where people were being excluded or judged, or you know, there's a lot of judgment about what you were wearing or who you were hanging out with. And I think that it gave me a little bit more of a sense that I was okay, whoever I was, and that I didn't need to change who I was so that I would be fit in with the cool kids or with the in crowd. And I think that was part of my mom's gift to me because she was very accepting of who I was.
0: So when you say she was like very accepting of who you were, I'm like, you know, I get the sense of that. But I wonder, now you guys have you have kids, you've written this book, so how to, how to talk so little kids will listen, and you you've faced all these issues in your in your own kids and your own parenting, and and this idea coming down to this sort of nugget of accepting who we are, it's like you know we want to parents want to accept who their kids are like they want to like leave them feeling secure and loving who they are and things like that yet at the same time you know when a little kid a toddler or something like that is Freaking out, we feel intense pressure from just from our habit, from when we grew up or society or whatever to say, like, no, I do not accept this, you know, and <laughs> I, I do not accept what you are this doing. Is right bad. Now. <laughs> this is really bad. You know? yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm not sure what my question is here, but it's like really, I, I guess what I'm thinking about the listener listening to this and saying, yeah, like, this sounds great accepting who your kids mm-hmm. really are. But I can't have him like whacking his sister over the head, you know? So, wh- <laughs> what? So, what?
2: You know, what do you mean, except, you know, it sounds very nice. It sounds very nice. But, uh, you know, easier said than done when whacking is going on, right? Yeah. Um, so, I think that's the hardest thing for all of us, for all parents, including Julie. I'm guessing, and certainly including myself, is to be accepting when our kids are having negative feelings and, you know, when they're angry or even when they're sad and disappointed. You know, we don't want them to be sad and disappointed. We don't want them to cry. We want to say it's not so bad or don't be scared or, you know, that's nothing to get upset about because we don't want to reinforce negative feelings. And the ironic truth is that if we can bring ourselves to accept the negative feelings it's only then that the positive feelings can come rushing back in you know so when we see a kid starting to have a major meltdown because his friend his little you know three-year-old friend got sick and can't come for the play date you we want to say you know it's okay you see him every day in school you'll see him again next week when he's feeling better you don't want to get sick do you and that's not gonna help. That's not gonna change the fact that in this moment, in his little toddler heart full of a you know intense roller coaster of emotion, he is feeling crushing disappointment. So what's gonna really help him is you know to have a parent who could say, Oh, you were looked so looking forward to that play date. It's so disappointing. You know, you were planning to use your trucks and dig a big hole in the backyard. So to have somebody just fully accept that negative feeling and not try to explain why we shouldn't be having the negative feeling, it's a very powerful thing, and it's so difficult to do. And certainly, we don't advocate sitting back and allowing violence. So if a child is whacking another child, the first order of business is to protect, you know, to leap in and physically separate. And, you know, with whatever words come to your mind, usually in my house, it'd be like, no! Um, but then we have a choice once we get everybody safe which direction are we going to go are we going to say what is the matter with you you're supposed to love your brother in which case our kid will probably say, or at least think, well, I don't love him, I hate him, why do you even have to have him? (laughs) Or we can take the other path and accept the feeling and say, boy, you were really angry at your brother, something he did really annoyed you, which accepts the feeling. If it doesn't accept the action, we're not accepting that people hurt each other. You You know, we might say, after we finish yelling, no, we might say, I can't let you hurt him but we accept the feeling. And then that opens a dialogue and it opens the heart. Yeah, I'm so mad at him. You know, he broke my Lego spaceship. Oh, he was trying to play with it and he doesn't know how to hold things delicately. And you work so hard on that. Yeah, you know, boy, we really need a safe place for those Legos. That's what's actually going to help a kid return to fond feelings for his brother. And. I know that, you know, my mom always said, she would quote Dr. Gannat and say, for you learning these skills, it will always be, you'll always speak with an accent, but for your children, it will be their native tongue. Mm -hmm. And I am the child, so I should be speaking with a native tongue. And I feel like a lot of times I do, a lot of times these skills come so naturally to me, but sometimes they don't, just like any parent, I want to protect my kid from sadness or disappointment. And it's hard for me to react helpfully when kids are very angry or hurting each other. And that's when I fall back on my intellectual knowledge (laughs) or or I just do it the wrong way. And then I come back and say, boy, next time I'm going to do this better. (laughs) So it's, it's great for it to be part of you, but it's also it's also great to know it intellectually and be able to, you know, sometimes just go back to the formula because sometimes our emotions, you know, we're, we're only human. Our emotions get the better of us. We all get frustrated. We all get angry.
0: I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.
0: Yeah. And with our kids, we we have so much of our like, I think we have so much of our, our ego, honestly, really tied up into it. Like They're a reflection of us. We are seen as having so much influence or we're you know society quote sees that we are almost responsible for their actions which of course is crazy because they're a whole other human being right but you know we have so much of this our own self-identity almost like wrapped up into who they are and how they act so those
2: sure and, and we don't know we don't understand how little control we have over their actions until we're actually parents ourselves because I certainly remember being judgmental of other parents. You know, oh, why is that child hitting another child? His parents must spank him at home or his parents must fight in front of him. And and then I had my own little kids who, you know, merrily hit and kicked and bit when they were two-year-olds. And I thought, oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> and I think it's hard also because when we first have kids, they are completely dependent on us. And we, we have to meet their every need. And anything they do, we have – pretty much control over where they go because we put them there and then they grow into these little toddlers or these little ones who start to have opinions about what they want to do or whether they want to do it and I think sometimes they grow faster than our conception of who they are, and what our relationship is to them. And so we think, well, I still should be controlling them and and deciding what they do and and where they go. And they have a different opinion, and we have to adjust to that. And I I think sometimes that happens, they're they're ahead of us in, in that process.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've kind of dived into sort of the content of this, but you were, Joanna, you were, you were like raising your kids, right, when you when you, I love the story you tell in the book. And I wonder if you could just tell the story of like how you were kind of at a play date or at a baby meeting, and someone was like, oh, by the way, there's this amazing book. And is that when you kind of revisited the content of how to talk? So I'm just curious about like, when did you say, decide, oh, let me go and look back at this intellectually and re shore this up in myself?
2: I. I think having my first son was like learning to ride on a bucking Bronco because he is a very, you know, strong-minded individual. I remember when the other parents were dressing their little little toddlers in cute, colorful outfits. You know, mine insisted on putting his own clothes on, and he was like a little beatnik. He would only wear black, this black shirt and black pants. And when everyone was carefully feeding their babies, mine insisted on feeding himself and always made a big mess. Everybody else was neat, uh, you know. So he was, he had a very strong will. You know, I was always thinking about, you know, skills and, you know, how can I handle this without butting heads? but I, I didn't tell anyone that my mother had written this book because I felt like I was working as hard as I could just, you know, running after this kid and, and trying to get him to cooperate, you know? So I didn't feel like I was the model of the perfect parent. And, you know, I don't want people looking at me and thinking like, Hmm, like so her mother wrote a parenting book. Really? <laughs> you know, so, you know, I kept it on the down low and, and, And then there was that play group where one of the other moms said, oh, Joanna, you have to read this book. It's just your style. You would love it. I guess she had heard me talking and it sounded familiar. You know, it sounded like the skills in this book. And then I couldn't, you know, deny my parentage at that point. I said, you know, yeah, my mom wrote that book. And, And that's when I was outed. You know, she, she called out to everyone, you know, hey, guys, Joanna's mom wrote this book and she never told us. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's when, it's not that it rekindled me, you know, looking back at the skills for my own life, but that's when I got involved in giving talks and then giving parenting workshops because then people started saying like, oh, you could come talk at our church. Oh, you could come talk at our mother's group. You could come talk at our school. And, and at first I thought, well, what do, well I, don't, I don't really have anything to say to you. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. But then I realized that I, I actually use all these skills every day in trying to keep my head above water. So I thought, well, I'll share that. You know, and that, there's a lot of crazy stories there. So that's how I got started walking in my, in my mom's big boots.
0: Is she still with us, your mom?
2: She is. Us. She's she's living on long island
0: all right yes. all right <laughs> i just it. talked to her yesterday <laughs> all right well hello to mom if you're uh-huh. listening so let's let's transition to talk a little bit about like so you guys were you know you were you were raised in this kind of like the way i see it you were raised in this like alternative utopian universe where you were actually <laughs> spoken to in this like really respectful way and and for most of us we were talked to in this way that was different you know maybe I'll just say and our parents were doing the best that they could but what are some of the you know I see these as like things that just get handed down through generations but what are some of the mistakes and the the, the problems of the way most people normally talk to little kids or or kids in general hmm. do you want to take that Julie? Julie what
1: else? Well Uh, I think Joanna touched on this. I think that a lot of parents, when we see our kids either unhappy or disappointed or frustrated or angry, we want to fix it. And so we try to tell them not to feel that way. We try to talk them out of it. You know, a kid is scared. Because there's a big thunderclap and, and the kid starts crying. And we say, no, no, it's okay. It's nothing to be scared of. Instead of saying, ooh, that was a loud sound. A you know, loud, loud sound can be scary. So I think that's not our first instinct. And that would be one of the ways that I think parents can actually perpetuate or promote this, the feeling instead of helping a kid through that feeling.
0: mm mm-hmm. We basically then, tell them not to feel this feeling because it makes us uncomfortable, and, and, and then, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't help them not feel the feeling. Go or we go think. Figure. <laughs> I
1: can fix. You know, a kid comes and says, "Oh my, you know, my 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 clay cat broke. I made it at school, and now the tail broke off." And we want to say, "Oh, honey, you can make another one tomorrow. You know, it's not a big yeah. deal." Because we want to fix it because we don't want them to feel bad, and we're thinking. I mean, I think it looks like a cat, but I wasn't really sure to begin with. It's not really a big deal if it doesn't have a, cat, a tail, because really, you know, you can't really tell anyway. You know, that's what we're thinking. And the kid's thinking, it's wrong. It's ruined. You know, but if we say, oh, honey, you can make another one tomorrow, very rare does a child say, oh. Didn't think of that. Thanks, Mom. You know, and just <laughs> mine out of it. <laughs> They're probably going to insist more. No, no, I can't make another one. It's, this is one special.
2: <laughs> We're really dwelling on this feeling thing because I think it's just so challenging, even for us as adults. I I had a friend recently who was talking to me on the phone about this doctor's appointment that she dreaded. She's going to have some tests. And she said, you know, I'm worried that it's the big C. And, you know, she meant cancer. And the first thing that rose to my mind to say was, you know, oh, no, don't even think that. Mm. But, you know, I I kind of bit my tongue because I know you're supposed to accept people's feelings when they're upset intellectually. (laughs) And, And I said something along the lines of boy that's a heavy worry to be carrying around and my friend gave this sort of explosive response she said yes it is and do you know what people tell me i said what she said they tell me not to even think about that isn't that absurd how could you not even think about it and i thought that's what I was about to tell you. Because we don't want to think about these terrible things. But the relief, the relief that it sort of exploded out of her when I managed to force myself to, you know, to accept that that worry and that fear, you know, was just blew through the phone. And I thought, boy, this is hard. This is hard. Even when you practice it's hard. It's hard to face scary and upsetting things.
0: responding with empathy right like saying like i hear you i see you it takes a certain level of like innate kind of bravery right like yeah. to say that this is this is this sucks this is hard and to just accept that in ourselves and to accept that for them that's and really we can't
2: important. always do it it takes some some innate level of bravery and comfort with that and also a certain kind of mood, a certain kind of giving mood, which as parents we're not always in that mood. So, you know, we can't, we can't ask for 100%. Dr. Chaim Gannat used to say, you don't have to be Orthodox, you can be reformed.
0: <laughs> Who is Dr. Gannat? Because you mentioned him a few oh, times. Oh, he
2: is my mom's mentor. So mm-hmm. he wrote a book, he wrote the book between parent and child and between parent and teacher. He gave these workshops and classes that first introduced my mom to this kind of, of thinking and this kind of approach. And, and it just felt so right to her that she, she kept going with it. And he, he, he's the foundation of this this method. But anyway, it's not, but it can't be all about feelings. It's, you know, feeling, you know, oh, accept the feeling, accept the feeling. We still have to get (laughs) do all these things, right? Yes, yes. You know, so like, maybe we should move on before people get annoyed with us. I got to get my kid to brush their teeth. I got to get them to eat. I got to get dressed. So, you
0: know, there's that whole component as well. But I, but I, th- I think it's important that you linger on accepting the, the feelings because the thing is, is like, if we just try to push past it, it just takes up more time anyway. You know, if, yeah. if we're like, they're saying, oh, this is horrible. Like, my toothbrush is sticky and, oh, I'm really <laughs> upset about it or whatever. And we're just like, oh, just, do God, it. just do it. That there's That ends up being explosive and taking longer anyway, you know, and when we are accepting those feelings and we're creating that connection and saying, oh, I hear you, I see you, I care about how you're feeling right now, then it snowballs in a positive way. And I think that, so you're right to linger on that because it, it, that creating that positive snowball can just make, you know, a big, big
2: difference. And especially when they're young. So I, I love that this is about when they're young. Sure, because kids can't act right if they don't feel right. People can't act right if they don't feel right. Yeah, and, and it seems like it'd be more efficient to just be able to, you know, give them orders and, like, I say jump, you say how high. But sometimes the longer way is the shorter way, as you, as you so eloquently <laughs> explained. And and anyway, who has kids because they want their life to be more efficient? You know that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> so you talk about a bunch of things here in the book. You talk about tools for resolving conflict, tools for praise, tools for engaging co- cooperation. So I I love this like idea of in- how do how are we going to engage cooperation? And you talk about how to speak instead of using threats. So what's wrong with threats? <laughs>
2: What's wrong with threats? Put that down that right question, now. You'll be <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, Julie. Give me you your say
1: If you ask me that question one more time, I'm hanging up the phone. <laughs> How does that make you feel?
2: I he say, hey, if you throw sand one more time, we're going straight home. And they say the problem with that sentence is the kid doesn't hear the whole sentence. What the kid hears is. Throw sand one <laughs> more time. <laughs> you know, oh. so sometimes a threat can be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. But it's in general, hard. nobody nobody reacts well to threats. I mean, we we put a lot in our book about trying it out on yourself. You know, how do you feel when somebody talks to you that way? And how do you feel? You feel. Like you want to resist with all your might. You know, like, don't you oh, dare yeah. tell me what to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll show you. <laughs> I'm not doing that just because you said so.
2: <laughs> so. So we're working against ourselves. Yeah. And, and again, it's a, natural, it's, it's a natural thought pattern to us to present something as a threat. Well, if you don't clean up those toys in the next five minutes, you know, I'm not going to give you dessert. You know, we try to think about like, you know, how can I, how can I get some control over this kid? I know I'll, I'll, I'll threaten him, I'll let him know. But as soon as, as soon as we try it on ourselves, we realize that there's going to be such a backwash of bad feeling and resentment that we're, again, we're working against ourselves.
1: There's a backwash of bad feelings and it often just doesn't work. So...
2: There's that too.
0: (laughs) It's it's ineffective and it makes them, yeah, it's that resentment. It's like, if you're playing the long game, then it's, it's
2: really works against you in the long game. Yeah, you have to play the long, and and also if you have a sibling in the house, you're going to see that kid turn around and talk to his or her sibling that way.
1: Or her friend, you know, if you, if you don't let me be queen, you can't come to my birthday party. And that doesn't Mm -hmm. sound so nice when we hear it from our kids.
0: That's a big wake-up wake up call. I remember, like, exactly where I was going into the playroom and hearing my older daughter say something like that to my younger daughter and be like, oh my god, that's what I sound like. Yeah. Oh no, this is going to change. <laughs> yeah. Oh.
2: Yeah. It's, it's so, so tempting. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And we feel like, oh, I have to motivate them somehow, what am I going to do? So, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So, so what do we do instead?
2: <laughs> Yeah. So, so what do we do? What Julie, do we, what, do, what do we do?
1: <laughs> so one of our favorite, one of my favorite tools, <laughs> especially when we're talking about little kids is to be playful, to turn something into a game. So, you know, I had a dad in one of my, actually a couple in one of my groups. And he said that they, they live in a small house and the kids had taken out all the toys and they were all over the, the living room and the parents were just beside themselves yelling at those kids. They were two and five trying to get them to clean up and it was not working and the and the wife said to her, her husband I'm out of here I can't take this anymore and she went in the bedroom and slammed the door and, the, and her husband was just you know trying to come hey you know cut it out get over here you know get put those Legos away and it was not working and his wife opened the door and she said hey that's not in the workshop you know <laughs> <That's> <laughs> this is the, the danger a, of
0: taking safe distance. Together, right <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so the dad you know he's thinking oh yeah we just talked about what we're supposed to do you know be playful so he there was a a little stuffed giraffe on the floor so he picked up the stuffed giraffe and he said hey i want to go back with my stuffed animal friends won't you put me away and the two-year-old like ran up to him the five-year-old just was watching the two-year-old ran up and grabbed the giraffe and threw it into the cabinet and so then the five-year-old looks like he wants to get in the action. So the dad picked up a truck and said, I want to go back with my truck friends. And so the five-year-old ran up and they, they, you know, he started just talking for all the objects that were on the floor. We call it make inanimate objects speak. That's the tool that we, we call it. And th- th- suddenly it wasn't a chore to clean up. It was a game. And the two-year-old and the five-year-old got the whole thing cleaned up. And the wife, she sticks her head out the door and she says, that was from the workshop. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's one of that's one way to to engage our kids cooperation is to make it something that they want to do to be playful and kids are all about play that's that's how they learn that's that's how they live so if we can turn something into a game you know where we suddenly can change the mood and get some cooperation instead of instead of yelling
2: yeah yeah and you that, might say where's the work ethic you know <laughs> or, shouldn't they just do it because we tell them to It's like well Two-year-olds and five-year-olds don't have much of a work ethic. They don't see much point. You know, they don't thrill to the sight of a tidy house. I mean, it's really our need for it to be tidy. So so if we can make it a game, whether it's through making inanimate objects talk or putting on music and cleaning up quickly to fast music and then slowly when the music gets slow and then freeze when the music stops, a teacher told me that game. She, she has oh, kids like clean up that. with that every day. And she said, everybody wants to clean up you know, if we can make it fun for them, then they're learning that, you know, yes, we clean up every day and, and it's fun and we all cooperate and there's a good mood and there, it's not part of, it's not all wrapped up in threats and punishment and, and they're still learning to work and they're, they're learning to work together in a nice way. And, and at one point they'll grow up old enough to have a work ethic or care about tidiness or, understand other people's feelings and maybe we're just going to clean this up to be you know nice for our parents but when they're little you're you're just you're just creating a strong relationship and a feeling of connectedness every time you use play to engage cooperation rather than threats and commands
1: And, and I think it's also a great life skill I mean if we're facing some chore ourselves we've got a huge kitchen full of dirty pots and pans and dishes and we have to clean up you know we could say to ourselves uh I just have to do it. This is no fun. Or we could say, you know, I'm going to put on some music or
0: a podcast and I'll listen to Hunter while I, I, I'm cleaning up. I bet, I bet you somebody is listening to this right now while they're cleaning up. <laughs> we. This is going out to
2: you, dear listener. Who's, cleaning up while who's you're scrubbing listening. the
0: pot. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Carry on.
2: And oh, you also- but there's more. I oh, Just to throw a few more out there, mm-hmm. there's one of the best motivators for my kids in in terms of making something fun and making something a game was playing beat the clock so we you know say like you know how much did we think we can get away get you know put away in two minutes and we'd set the timer ready set go and they just loved that I mean partly probably because it looked like it had a beginning and an end you know that it wasn't going to be an endless cleanup and partly because everybody just like racing around madly and they love setting clocks so there's another way to make it into a game. What I think we have dozens in our books. Dozens
1: book. of them. Yes, I remember. Yeah. I mean if we're, if we're on the subject of cleaning up, I remember I was home one day with my daughter and she had taken out all the books that we had all the kids books and she had made a big circle. I think she was recreating what they do at school in circle time where they put books around in a circle or something. And I was exhausted as usual, you know, so all I wanted to do was sit on the couch and have her clean up, which good luck with that with, right. With (laughs) a three-year-old. But her older brothers used to love to play Monopoly and she was always the banker. And so she really liked the money from Monopoly. So I took out some Monopoly money and I told her that I would pay her. 20 monopoly dollars if she would take that book with strawberry on it and put it back in the cabinet and she was like okay and she put it away and she said, oh and that book over there i'll pay another 20 dollars, and she said 50 <laughs> i'm like 50 that's a lot of money for one book she, how about tw- you know how about 30 Fifty. She was a hard worker. <laughs> <marketer. laughs> so, you know, I had this huge stack of Monopoly money. It really wasn't any, any <laughs> it was easy for me to pay her. So I'm like, okay. And I put it on the, you know, the other pile and she cleaned up the whole thing. And I got to sit on the couch I always thought nice. that was kind of a lucky. You're
0: thing. just uh, lounging, doling out your money. I love
1: it. I love it. <laughs> it wasn't always that easy. I have to say, with that, that was a great game for me and for
0: her. <laughs> That's a great one. But you talk also about, and I'm, I welcome as many playful things as you as you want to bring. But you talk also about giving information, and it was in, it's interesting because. I have a lot of moms who take mindful parenting and we we talk about ways to communicate to get your own needs met, right? And they often have partners who are resistant to like, they they say that this the child should just do this thing because I say so and I shouldn't have to explain myself. Like I've, I've heard that a number of times, like I shouldn't mm. have to explain it. But you talk about giving information and I think that we're you know i think also societally we're kind of collectively learning that we kind of need human beings want to have a why like in fact we saw at the art museum recently a little sign that had like a like a no touching sign but it said you know fingers hurt you know they damage the painting Uh, oh touch and i was like oh you know they're they're giving information they're telling you why you should do that rather than just don't do it so talk to me a little bit about giving information Oh and also even like you know you also talk about describing how you feel as a parent to to young kids. How do how do we do that to really young kids for really young kids?
2: Julie, who's answering that one? You or me?
0: <laughs> the trials and tribulations <laughs> of three people. Here we go.
2: Um, well, giving information is first of all useful because you're giving a kid information. And second of all it's useful because you're eliminating the command which creates resistance because nobody likes being ordered around so you know you, you're you winning both ways so what's an example of giving information you know the oh the milk gets sour when, it, when it's left in the sun mm-hmm. and then what happens the kid sees that they left the milk in the sunny spot on the table and they say oh the milk's in the sun it's going to get sour oh I'll put it away in the refrigerator the kid tells herself what to do instead of you telling the kid, hey, go pick that milk up and put it away. So she's learning about milk and she's giving herself the command. And when you think about it, that's really how we talk to our adult friends. We give them information and we trust them to tell themselves what to do. Uh, For instance, I have this this kitchen table that's made of pine, which was kind of a mistake because pine is very, soft wood, and people like to, I found, tap on tables with forks and knives, and I cringe as I see the beautifully sanded surface get dented, and so, you know, what do I say to an adult friend who's gouging my table, you know, what is the matter with you, stop that immediately, you're ruining my table, you know, no, I don't say that, I said, oh, that table's made of pine, it dents really easily, it's really soft wood, it dents easy, and they say, oh, and they stop.
0: I love that you gave that example because for me that that's like a a test, right? If I'm being kind of like if I'm having some respectful communication, I don't know how to do it. I imagine like well what if my child were like some 22-year-old roommate that <laughs> I have li- that lives in my house. How would I say this to that person? Just to get my own stuff out of the way of it. You know, but that, yeah, I think that's Yeah, I I think
2: about. that's that's you know, it's a great test. I've had more than one parent in a workshop say, oh, oh, I get it. I just have to imagine how I would speak to an adult friend. You know, so, you know, so if your partner left a lot of dishes in the sink overnight, you know, you might say, what's the matter with you? You're such a slob. I don't want to have to look at your mess in the morning, you know, clean it up. But, you know, that would probably (laughs) ruin the relationship. So you might give information. You might tell them how you feel. You might say, oh. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm so sleepy and I just want to make myself breakfast. It's I get frustrated, you I know, encountering this. a pile of dirty dishes in the sink. You know, at night it's okay, but in the morning I can't, you know, and in the morning I'm just not awake enough to deal with it. Um, so you talk about your feelings and then the person, the other person might say, you know, oh gosh, let me be careful not to leave dirty dishes in the sink in the morning, because that really upsets Joanna, instead of feeling attacked. And when people are feeling attacked, they don't feel helpful.
0: Yeah, so you, these skills you've used, I imagine have translated as your kids have grown up. I'm sure that, I mean, because the skills you talk about, giving information, telling people how you feel, empathizing, being playful, like they work wonderfully with little kids, but they work well with all ages, I imagine. That's the big secret
1: that people come, people take the workshop they and they say, oh, you know, I didn't have time to try it with my kids, but it worked really well with my spouse. Yes. <laughs> that's, our,
2: that's our big secret. Yeah. And, and we also are very aware that our kids quickly get bigger than us and stronger than us. And, you know, you can't just keep you know, you can muscle a little kid around. Sometimes you can intimidate a little kid and you can just pick them up and, you know, grab them or put them where you want them to be or take them out of the room. But, you know, they very quickly grow bigger. And and if you have a relationship that's based on, you know, respecting and caring about each other's feelings and solving problems, it's so nice when they're looking down at you, you know, when they're 12 years old and they're almost six feet tall and they're in their size 13 boots and they're looking down at you with their newly deep voices and you can just talk to them
1: <laughs> and they you also know. talk to you that way instead okay. of saying hey cut it out leave my lap you know stop being so rough with my laptop they're like hey mom just makes, takes a light little touch on that touchpad. you don't have to bang on it
0: ah <laughs> oh, that's beautiful so these skills as you practice them when they're younger these skills communication skills Creating that really keeping that closeness of the relationship rather than kind of feeding that cycle of resentment my my biggest hope because as I told you guys, I have an eight year old and an eleven year old <laughs> my biggest hope is that it will soften some of the the drama of the you know adolescent years because I know for me, my father you know, started saying, you will do this because I am your father kind of stuff when I, and we had a lot of turmoil. It was really upsetting time, you know, when I was around 14. So how were those
2: ages for you and your kids? Well, <laughs> that was when I felt very, I I think I felt pretty cocky at that age because a, a lot of my friends were talking about teenagers and hormones and how difficult kids were and how they wouldn't do what you told them anymore. And I felt like, hmm, well, (laughs) I haven't been telling my kids what to do for years. So there's really no change here. You know, when they're kids, they're really out of your control. I mean, most of their behavior is going on at school or with their friends, and, and you really can't you really can't control a teenager. But if if you have a close relationship that's your tie, that's your power to affect them is is your relationship and the fact that you care about them and respect them and they feel cared about and respected so they will listen to you in turn. And and I remember one of my friends who is a lovely person having a battle with her teenager over the car and she had told him that he couldn't have the keys because it was snowing out and he said it's you know. I'm going, you can't stop me. And they actually got into a physical scuffle where she got pushed down. It was sort of like a horrifying incident and a really nice mom and a really nice kid, but they were just in a battle. And I remember shortly after that, having my own confrontation with my son who had just gotten his license and was planning to Drive to New Haven in Connecticut on Interstate 84 for some band event. And I thought, you know, no, you've just driven around on these little side roads and you're all of a sudden going to be going on the interstate? You're like, you're going to die. This is terrible. And he felt very strongly that he had a license, so, you know, he should be able to do that. And I just sat down with him and And we talked about it. And I said, boy, you know, you have a very nervous mother, was able to accept his feelings. From your point of view, you know, you have a license, you studied, you practiced, you passed the driving test, you feel confident to do this. And and here I am holding you back from this experience. And from my point of view, I know that driving on the interstate and getting on and off exits and merging with trucks is something that takes a lot of practice and experience. And the problem is that if you make a mistake, you can be terribly injured or die. And, and it just, you know, I, I, you just have a very worried mother. And, you know, we talked and talked, and we came up with a solution, which was that he would, which was that his father would give him lessons getting on and off the highway because his mother was too nervous for that. <laughs> and, and then he would drive the first way, the part way, and meet up with his teacher who would drive him the rest of the way into the city. And that way, you know, because he said, well, how am I going to get experience if you're so worried you won't let me have experience? But, uh, you know, we we were able to to talk through it and come up with a solution that felt right to both of us and was just one of those situations where there were two people who both felt very strongly and there was a lot of emotion, but but there was also respect and ability to listen to each other. And, and that's, that's the kind of thing that happens with teenagers. Everything seems to have high stakes. So we really, you know, I really treasure that connection.
0: You retained your influence when you needed it most. So rather than using power and then really running out of power, you still had this influence from the, the respectful way you communicated and the way you kept your relationship strong over the years. That's such a beautiful story. I love that you were able to, you know, meet his
2: needs and meet your needs. Yeah, my need my need is, you know, to keep him surrounded by pillows in a room, but you know, his need is to go out and take every risk he can take. And that's that's really tough. Boy, that's hard for a parent to let go. Just wait, just wait until your kids get their driver's license. There's nothing like that. But uh, but you know, I couldn't I can't keep the keys away from a kid who's six foot two and 180 pounds and you know, full of muscle. You know, I, I can talk to him though. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Julie and Joanna, you guys have so many gems in your book, taking how to talk so the kids can listen and, and translating it for little kids. I could probably keep you here for two hours asking you questions. I'm sure my listener would love that. I feel a little bad that I didn't even get to talk about sibling rivalry or anything yet do you do you have a few minutes to next um, time (laughs) a whole nother topic (laughs) yes yes maybe we could do it maybe we could do it again that would be lovely but I I feel really heartened by your your work and your stories of what what you've shared and the way it's it's turned out for you in your own lives it's really hopeful it's a message of hope that you have which is really nice yeah yeah. It is. It's
2: a message of hope. <laughs> that's that's our that's our other secret dream that that you know we end all wars and 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 heal humanity.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's where people first learn how to deal with conflict is at home. When you want the window open and your brother wants it closed, or or you want to use the blue marker and he does too, or every little conflict that happens at home, we're teaching our kids what do you do when when you're in conflict with somebody else and we're trying to provide parents with tools that they can use with their kids and their kids can use when they grow up to be adults and conflicts in the world
2: it's a model for them it's a model for them what do you do what do you do when when your needs are in conflict do you do you think about a way to punish the other person or a way to force the other person or do you listen to the other or hurt the other person or do you listen to each other and see if you can come up with something that respects the needs of both people? It's it's a it's a model for, for life.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for those of us who were raised in the, the, the stronger party always wins model, this is another amazing resource to help us into that model of, you know, I respect your needs. You respect mine, kind of things. Or we want to model how to how to do that. So I, I just want to thank you for the the work that you've done with this book. I know it sort of came. I was like, oh, there's one for little kids. I didn't know. I'm so excited. <laughs> and so I think everybody should should absolutely go out and get How to Talk to so Little Kids. Who listen because you have a lot of wonderful things in there, and then you have those great drawings in there too. So
2: there you go
0: you'll (laughs) laugh you'll
2: cry you'll chuckle
0: (laughs) (laughs) there are all the drugs in there yeah so thank you thank you for for doing this work thank you for being on the mindful mama podcast where can people find out more about you julie and joanna and in the book and what you're doing
2: julie tell them
1: well we have a website for our book how to talk so little kids will listen.com and we also have a facebook page if you search for how to talk so little kids will listen you'll find us and i also have a website with my workshops and and support groups and that and and consultations and that sort of thing and that's julieking.org so you can find us in any of those places and if you get the book we also have an email address at the back if you go to the chapter called the end question mark we have our email address there so you can write to us and we try to write back to everybody it's kind of-
2: and we feel terrible guilt because we don't <laughs> write back to everybody but we write back to a lot of people <laughs>
0: we try <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and we'll link up to those those sites and mindfulmamapodcast.com on the show notes too so so thank you guys Oh my goodness are they not just the zen masters of communication i love joanna and julie and i just want to give you a heads up if you loved this episode i recorded a brand new conversation with them in 2021 that will be released soon so make sure you are subscribed to the mindful mama podcast wherever you're listening so you get each episode as it comes out and i want to know what did you think did you like this episode what are you getting out of this what is the one thing you're gonna get out of this. Go ahead, you know, tag me on Instagram at Mentor, and tell me what that thing is. I would love to know. I wanna know what is the communication piece that you wanna change? because there's so much here. They just have so much wisdom, so beautiful, and it just fits in so beautifully with mindful parenting, which is the overlap of mindfulness, self-compassion, and communication. So love it, love it, love it. Please do share this episode if you got something out of it. And I will be back in your inbox with another special Friday episode or back in your podcast player. And Friday, I'm going to be talking about seven things you should stop doing in order to be a happy parent. So it's going to be a powerful episode. I invite you to listen to that as soon as it comes out. Let me know what you think. And I'm just hoping you have a great week. For me, it's at the end of my summer. Things are changing. We're in September. My kids are back in school. My daughter's in high school now. Oh my gosh, my oldest daughter who started all this work for me. She's in high school now. Holy moly. (sighs) This is a precious fleeting road we're on. I hope that you are giving your dream the resources it deserves. Because this is it. This is our, this is it. It goes by so fast. Oh my gosh, high school. Anyway, I'm wishing you a great week, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to connect with you again. Namaste. I'd
3: say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been
4: really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you.
6: No matter what age someone's child is, it's
5: a great opportunity for personal growth and it's great investment in someone's family. I'm very
3: thankful I had this you can continue in your old habits that aren't working, or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting.
0: Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting, and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com
6: Oh hey everybody! It's us, Blair and Molly your old pals from Toddler Purgatory two moms who are also actors who are also creative beings who sometimes feel stuck and this is our new podcast Unsticking It with Blair and Molly what happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear gone, poof Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was